Daniel chapter 8, verse 15. i just give you a little prelude into this. Last week we talked about Daniel had the dream. This week Gabriel's going to interpret the dream for him. And these dreams, for you that haven't been here, are about future kingdoms that are going to come. Future kingdoms that did come on schedule exactly like the Bible predicted. Now, Gabriel's going to explain the dream in more detail, but still Daniel, at the very end of this, is not going to understand the whole thing. Why? Because the understanding becomes more and more known as we get closer to the end. And so now we are close to the end, and we have more of an understanding. We'll see more of that in just a few seconds also. So verse 15, then it happened when I, Daniel, had seen the vision and was seeking the meaning that suddenly there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli who called and said, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood. And when he came, I was afraid and fell on my face. But he said to me, understand, son of man, that the vision refers to the time of the end. Now as he was speaking with me, I was in a deep sleep with my face to the ground, but he touched me and stood me upright. And he said, look, I am making known to you what shall happen in the latter time of the indignation. For at the appointed time, the end shall be. The ram which you saw having the two horns are the kings of Media and Persia. The male goat is the kingdom of Greece. The large horn is between its eyes as the first king. As for the broken horn and the four that stood up in its place, four kingdoms shall arise out of that nation, but not with its power. And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the, transgressor, when the transgressors have reached their fullness, a king shall arise having fierce features, who understands sinister schemes. His power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. He shall destroy fearfully and shall prosper and thrive, and he shall destroy the mighty and also the holy people. Through his cunning, he shall cause deceit to prosper under his rule, and he shall exalt himself in his heart. He shall destroy many in their prosperity. He shall even rise against the prince of princes, and he shall be broken without human means. And the vision of the evenings and the mornings, which was told, is true. Therefore, seal up the vision, for it refers to many days in the future. And I, Daniel, fainted and was sick for days afterward, I rose and went about the king's business. I was astonished by the vision, but no one understood it. This is the word of God. Please be seated. Gabriel will interpret this dream for us, and he's going to give us more information than we had last week. If you remember, the theme of Daniel is God is sovereign over nations, God is sovereign over rulers, and God is sovereign over you and your life. Now, last week we talked about the clash between the ram and the goat, and we knew, we learned who the ram and the goat were, that the ram was Medo-Persia, the goat was Greece, and we know that in verse 26 that the vision was evenings and mornings, it was all day long, it was a long vision that Daniel had. These two kingdoms collided violently, Alexander the Great with speed and cunning and a master technician, with 25 to 50,000 Greeks defeated the Persian army of 2.5 million people. Now that was rather miraculous, because Persia had a strong army. Who was behind Persia's defeat and Greece's elevation? God was. It had to be something that God did. So their ascent to power was God. Persia's ascent was God. Greece's ascent to power was God. Now I want you to realize that this all happened just as the Bible said. The Bible said that Greece would arise, that its ruler would die at, 
at, at the peak at a, at a young age, and Alexander the Great died at the peak at a young age. His kingdom was divided between four generals, just like the Bible said, four nobles. And we learned that last week, and it's going to be more explained this week or going over again this week. The Bible is true. What it predicts comes to fruition. It is the only book in the whole world that has fulfilled prophecy. So we can trust the Word of God. Now, those who denigrate the Bible, those who put it down, who doubt its accuracy and its trustworthiness, have no answer for fulfilled prophecy. None. They don't have an answer for this. Remember, see no evil, hear no evil, no speak no evil. I kind of change this to, to this. Don't speak about it, can't see it, and I won't even hear of it. I won't even put this into my mind. That's what the world does with this information that is right before their eyes and denies it. Denies it. See it. I don't see it. I don't hear it. I won't even speak of it. I'm just going to ignore it. And the world cannot ignore this. It's the Word of God, and it is true. It is true. So, a great comfort in our time today. When we are living in a time of tumult, the world is in an upheaval. And it's as we progress closer to the end, the upheaval will increase. We are not to be in shock and awe or surprise. God is not surprised by what's going on. God knows exactly what's occurring on schedule, just as he predicted it would. Four generals, four different ruling areas. It's amazing to me with the solid information that we have in God's Word that has been so specific about Bible prophecy that people still ignore it. You expect the world to ignore it, but you don't expect believers to ignore it. Believers should be in, in, in touch with this. We know that there's going to be an Antichrist that is coming. We know that he's going to be a deceiver. We read last time in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9 through 12, he's going to become with lying signs and wonders that people will believe the delusion. And I believe the delusion is, is that Antichrist puts himself up as the real Christ instead of Christ, in the place of Christ. And most of the world will fall for this. Most of the world. And it's a tragedy that those in the church aren't prepared for this aren't knowing what is coming. The vast majority of churches don't teach Bible prophecy because it's too difficult. It's too, it's too big of a subject. It's too painful. It's too scary. I don't want to scare the people. More on that in just a few minutes also. So, the reason that we study Bible prophecy is the following, that we have a clue on what is coming. We need to have a clue on what is coming. To not be deceived because deception marks the end time, and to encourage God's people to holy living. This is real. This is real. This stuff is going to happen. It's happening on schedule. It happened in the past. It will happen in the future. That encourages us to say, hey, I'm going to live all out for God. I'm going to live all out for him. To encourage God's people to, to witness for him, to have a voice in the public domain, in the public debate. We have a voice that the world needs to hear. To be real ambassadors for Christ. Not to be silent in a corner. Too many Christians have been silenced, and they're in a corner, and they're isolated, and they're afraid, out of commission, of no value in the battle. Many wounded Christians, there's a lot of wounded Christians in Christendom that have been wounded in churches and say, I've had enough of this stuff, and have gone off and done church by themselves in, a, in the church of McDonald's or the church of the rowboat or the church of whatever you think, and say, I can worship God there, and they've been deceived. 
Look at it's important that we are we re realize who we are. We are armored up soldiers in God's army. We are watchmen on the wall. We see what is coming and we cry out to the populace, this is what's coming. This is the truth. Forget about CNN and MSNBC and Fox News. This is the truth. This is telling you what's coming. So that's the important thing to remember. Now this week we have more clarification on Daniel's vision. There's going to be more insight into the future Antichrist, so we can't miss the meaning of what God wants us to know. God is going to send the messenger. Gabriel will interpret the dream. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this word. Thank you, Father, for the book of Daniel. And thank you that we are given this information so that we can live fervently for you knowing that we know that it's all real, that you are God, that you sent your son here to die, that he rose again from the dead, he is victorious over the grave, and he's coming back to set up a kingdom. We believe that to be true. Speak to us today, Holy Spirit, the things that you want us to know. In Jesus' name, amen. So recall that Daniel had a God-given ability to interpret dreams, but he's having a tough time with this one. So God sends Gabriel to help him. Remember, angels are messengers sent by God to help his people carry out God's assignments. So in verse 15 through 17, Daniel is introduced to Gabriel. Then it happened when I, Daniel, had seen the vision and was, watch this, and was seeking the meaning. He didn't have it just like this. He's seeking the meaning. He wants to know what it is. That suddenly there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. Now, when the Bible says suddenly, it is poof, there is Gabriel. It, would that not be shock and awe to you? It was shock and awe to Daniel, and you'll see that in just a second. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli who called and said, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. That's another big moment. Don't go over this. The appearance of Gabriel, all of a sudden this voice comes out and says, Gabriel, make him understand the vision. So he came near where I stood. Now he's coming close to Daniel. When he came, I was afraid and fell on my face. That's exactly what humans do when they come in contact with a celestial being. It isn't just all this casual, hey, how you doing, Gabe? High five. No, uh -uh, it's not like that. But he said to me, understand, son of man, the vision refers to the time of the end. So let's develop this just a little bit. Gabriel, the name means mighty one of God. Whenever you see an E-L at the end of a name, that is the name of God. Gabriel, mighty one of God. It's the first mention of an angel's name in the Bible. We've seen many angels up to this point, but it's the first angel that has been named in Scripture. There's two good angels mentioned in Scripture. One is Gabriel, the other is Michael, the archangel. And Michael means who is like God, E-L ending, who is like God. And again, he is a guardian angel of Israel. We see that in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. Now, notice how Gabriel appears. He appears as a man. Angels can take on corporeal form, can take on human form, but they always appear as a man. They never, ever, ever, ever appear as a woman. They never appear as a little cherub baby. They always appear as a man. So you need to know that. 
And he did. He appeared as a man. And this, this one is a powerful man. Powerful man. Some angel facts. Angels are mentioned 273 times in the Bible. 33 of the 66 books in the Bible mention, mentions angels, and they are divine messengers. Some facts to think about. Angel is a term used of celestial beings, number one. They are called sons of God, bene Elohim, in, in the book of Job. Bene Elohim. They're called holy ones, or are the unfallen angels, in Psalm 89.5. They are called watchers, and we saw that in the book of Daniel, several times in chapter 4. They are ministers, which means servants of God. We see that in Hebrews 1.7. And there's all kinds of other scriptures. I'm just giving you just, just one or two here. And then they're called hosts, the army, and it always means an army. The heavenly host, that means there's an army of angels. And we say that in Psalm 103, and we also see that when Jesus came in. A heavenly host. We're, we're welcoming the Son of God into the world. Angels have intellect. They have emotion. And angels have a will, just like you do. And hear this, all of God's creation, all of his creation, his higher creation, angels and humans have the ability to choose contrary to God. That's called contrary choice. The angels that chose to go with God during their time of testing, did not go with Satan, in their time of testing, are called the elect angels. We see this in 1 Timothy Chapter 5, verse 21. So they pass their test, they're confirmed in their holiness, and they are called elect angels. Daniel, in a time of distress, in a time of perplexity with this vision, God sends Gabriel, an angel, to help Daniel. And I want you to know something. You never, ever, ever know when you may encounter an angel. Because Hebrews chapter 4, 13 verse 2 says, many times we've entertained angels unaware. So these beings are real, and God uses them to help his people. Verse 16, we see that Daniel hears the voice of God. I think this is the voice of God. It says this, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. Notice Daniel's response. I emphasized it earlier. He fell on his face out of abject fear. Now, today we have people who see angels. They see Jesus. And what do they do? They write books about it. They go on tour and that sort of thing. No, Daniel's posture is not, oh, goody, I get to tell everybody about this experience that I had, how special I am. Oh, no. He's in abject fear. He's on his face. He's not telling people how special he is. Gabriel's message is this. The vision refers to the time of the end. Folks, that is where we are living today. The time of the end. How do I know that? We know that when the Jews became a nation on May 14, 1948, folks, the prophetic clock just went tick. We're almost there. So it refers to the time of the end. Now, when you're thinking of the time of the end, we've been talking about Antiochus Epiphany, who is the secluded leader who is a type of Antichrist. So some of this is referring to him, but it goes beyond that. It goes to the Antichrist into the future. So it's a double reference. So he talks about the end of Persia, the end of Greece, the end of Antiochus IV, the future Antichrist. It's a double reference. Both of these guys are in view here, Antiochus and the Antichrist. But I want to demonstrate something later on. In verse 23 on, I think that the transition goes 
to specifically talking about the Antichrist that is coming. So in verses 18 through 22, the time of the end, and I call this phase one. Phase one of the time of the end, 18 through 22. Daniel has seen the angel. Daniel has heard the voice. Gabriel has come close to him. And watch what Daniel does. Now, as he was speaking to me, he's standing there talking to you, right to your face. What does Daniel do? I was in a deep sleep. You know what he did? I'm going to mention it again. I believe that Daniel fainted. He was in a deep sleep with my face to the ground, but he touched me and stood me upright, and he said, Look, I'm making known to you what shall happen in the latter time of the indignation or the wrath, for at the appointed time the end will come. Notice there's an appointed time for the end to come. You can't put it off. You can't accelerate it. There's an appointed time. The ram which you saw having the two horns are the kings of Media and Persia. We learned that last week. And the male goat is the kingdom of Greece. We learned that last week. The large horn that is between his eyes is the first king, Alexander the Great. He was the broken horn. He died. And four that stood up in its place, four generals, four kingdoms shall arise out of that nation, but not with its power. So all of this information has to do with the time of Daniel into the future of Greece, but doesn't go into the Antichrist phase just yet. So, with that information, Daniel has a deep sleep. The Hebrew word is radam, and it means the sleep, or could mean death. Could mean sleep, or could mean death. And there's some interesting ways that this word was used in Scripture. In Abraham, in Genesis 15:12, fell into a deep sleep, or a radam the sleep of death, when he was told that his descendants would be in Egypt in captivity, slaves in Egypt for 400 years. 400 years. Seventy went in to, to Egypt. In 400 years, over 2 million Jewish people come out. Interesting thing that happens in Egypt is that God sequesters his people away from the Egyptians into Goshen. And he does that because the Egyptian people dislike or look down on are prejudiced against shepherds. And so God naturally protects his people from the Egyptian culture to some extent by, by having them up in Goshen. But there's also the sleep of death Adam experienced in Genesis 2.21. And let me read this to you and tell me how this resonates with you. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep, a radam, the sleep of death, to fall on Adam. And he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, woman, an ish, an isha, soft. It's a soft softness in, in a woman. And he brought her to the man. Now I want to suggest something to you. Out of the side of Adam, in his sleep of death, the bride his bride comes. Out of the side of Christ, in his sleep of death on the cross, he's pierced in the side. Out of his side, his bride is birthed, the church. It's an incredible picture. It's an amazing picture. The sleep of death. Out of the side of Christ, the, the church is birthed. The Radam. Notice what happened. He faints here. Now he was, back to our text. Now he was speaking with me. That's Gabriel. I was in a deep sleep. I think he passed out. 
He passed out from this thing. Gabriel grabs Daniel. Wake up, Daniel. There's things that you need to hear, Daniel. Pay attention, Daniel. He stands him up. Now, phase one, Gabriel's going to clarify the appointed time for each of these kingdoms. There's going to be a time for the ram, Persia. There's going to be a time for the goat, Greece, and there was. There's going to be the horn, Alexander, another review. He's going to be broken off and die. Alexander will die at a young age, at the peak of his power. Historically accurate. It happened just like the Bible said. And again, four generals came out of this thing. Historically accurate. The four generals. Cassander, he had Macedonia. Lysimachus, he had Thrace and Asia Minor. Ptolemy had Egypt and Seleucus had Syria, including Israel. But Ptolemy and Seleucus are the two competing generals for control of our map here. And remember this map? Seleucus is here. This is the area of Syria and Iran and Iraq and all of that stuff. This is Egypt here. And in between is Israel. In between is Israel. So anyway, Israel is here. The fight goes between these two for control, and a lot of this land was the fighting area. Out of Seleucus comes Antiochus IV, Antiochus Epiphany. God manifested. That's what Epiphany is. He thinks he's God. He's a picture of the Antichrist. So, God has an appointed time for Seleucus. He has appointed time for Ptolemy. And these are the two main players that are there. God, and remember this, God removes kings, God raises up kings. How do we know that? Daniel 2.21 says that. God is in control. Now listen, we may not understand why God raises up world leaders for why he does. I mean, we just don't understand it. Why is there Stalin and why is there Lenin and that sort of thing? There's some good that he raises up, some bad, and some are just plain, rotten, ugly. But he raises up for his purposes. Think about this. Think about Pharaoh. Again, 400 years, these people were in slavery. The first Pharaohs were, were, were pretty nice. They were nice to Joseph. He got along. But then there were ones that came along. They were afraid that the, that the, that the Jews were going to overpopulate the, the Egyptians and, and take over their culture. And so they made them slaves for 400 years. That was ugly. But God, again, grew, grew a nation out of that. How about this one? Hitler. And six million Jews died in a Holocaust. And millions other throughout the world that were not Jewish because of his aggression. Why in the world would God allow that to happen? Some of you know the answer to that. A few of you do, but all you're going to know the answer right now. Out of that Holocaust came the impetus for the world to allow the Jewish nation to be established. It took that amount of carnage. And in, again, May 14, 1948, the Jewish nation, the Jewish state was established. Immediately, all the Arab countries around it attacked them. They were overwhelmed, but God delivered them. They had no reason to survive. Nobody was giving them arms. Truman turned his back on them. They weren't anybody that was going to support them. But God allowed them to survive, the Jewish state. God raises these people up for his purposes. We don't understand it. You might not agree with it, but he is in control and in charge of all the kingdoms on the earth. Now, there's a principle here. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13 through 15. Because of time, I won't read the whole thing, but I'll give you the short version. 
Israel wants a king like all the other nations. God has been their king, but he's going to consent to them, their desire to have a king. So he raises up, so he's going to raise up Saul. And he gives this admonition to the people. If you worship God and serve him, then the king will worship God and serve him. Then you will prosper. But if you turn away from God, then the king that will be raised up will also turn away from God. And I want to suggest to you that God gives the nations the people they want. Look who we have in our leadership today. Look what's happening in our world today. And in the future, we're going to know that Antichrist will be raised up, and he's exactly what the world will want. Why? Because he's going to solve problems that are in the world that are unsolvable. He's going to be one that comes in and solves a world crisis. Persia and Greece had their time, and they ended. Antiochus IV and the Antichrist, they will have Antiochus at his time, his time, and Antichrist will have his time, but it will end. And I want to suggest to you something. Turn to Ecclesiastes. Well, I can get there quicker than you. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says this. Solomon, with all of his wisdom, to everything there is a season. It'll, this will be a slide. Life, I just want to say this. Life is not random chance. Ecclesiastes 3.1. Everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. Watch what Solomon says. A time to be born, a time to die. A time to plant and a time to sow. There's an appointed time for everything. He goes through a whole bunch of these. A time to tear, a time to sow. Verse 8, a time of war, a time of peace. And in verse 11, he says this. He has also made everything beautiful in its time. Everything has a time. And also he has put eternity in their hearts. Just a side note here. All humanity has an imprint on their hearts that there is something more than this. And you, wherever you go throughout the world, people groups have some sort of God that believes that they're going to go someplace further than this. God has put eternity in the hearts of humanity. We know intuitively this isn't it. This isn't it. Now watch what he does here in verse 14. He says, I know that whatever God does, it will be forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken from it. What is he saying here? God is sovereign. God is in control. God does it, that men should fear before him. Verse 15, that which has already been, what is to be has already been, and God requires an account of what is past. He expects his people to know, based upon what happened in the past, what he said is, happens in the past is going to happen in the future, he expects us to know. There is an appointed time for everything. Our lives. Antichrist will have his appointed time. Kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall on his appointed time. That's the message. That's the important thing to remember. So, verse 23 through 26, the time of the end. This will be phase two. Phase two. Now, I think there's a transition here from talking about Antiochus to specifically talking about the Antichrist. They're a little blending, but well, follow this with me. And in the latter time of their kingdom, speaking of the Greece and Persia, when the transgressors have reached their fullness, a king shall arise. Now there's a little transition here. Having fierce features 
who understand sinister schemes. That word schemes means riddles, puzzles. Antiochus wasn't one that could understand puzzles and riddles. Antiochus was not a peacemaker, but Antichrist will be. He's going to have the problems to the world figured out. He's going to be the one that understands schemes and riddles and puzzles. He will bring a peace, a false peace to the earth at first. His power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. He, sh he shall destroy fearfully and shall prosper and thrive. He shall destroy the mighty and also the holy people. Through his cunning, he will cause deceit to prosper under his rule. That was not Antiochus. He was not cunning. Antichrist will be. And he shall exalt himself in his heart. He shall destroy many in their prosperity. He shall even rise against the prince of princes. And he shall be broken without human means. And the visions of the evenings in the morning which was told is true. This is true. Therefore seal up the vision, for it refers to many days in the future. This is not for you, Daniel. This is for those who are living at the time when we will understand these things, because history will evolve and allow us to understand these things. Now let's develop this just a little bit. Again, it starts out with a near fulfillment in Antiochus, and it ends with a future fulfillment with Antichrist. And the important thing is this. God wants his people to know, humanity throughout history to know, what to expect from a future deceiving Antichrist. He wants us to know. The latter time of their kingdom will be, of Seleucus was going to be Antiochus, but Antichrist is future. In verse 23, a king shall arise. And again, I don't think this is Antiochus. Fierce features, sinister schemes. And again, that schemes is riddles, puzzles, perplexing problems. He will be able to solve perplexing problems, world problems. Antiochus, again, was never a peacemaker. But Antichrist will be a peacemaker at first. He'll be a problem solver at first. People will fall all over themselves for him. He's a deceiver. Verse 24, the future rule of Antichrist. Notice who is behind his power, Antichrist's power. It's going to be Satan. Satan himself, not by his own power, it said in the text. Energized by Satan. 2 Thessalonians 2.9. I just want to read this to you one more time. We've been here several times in this. One more time. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. The lawless one is the Antichrist, the beast, the false Christ. The working of Satan, the energy of Satan, the energy of Satan, with all power, dunamis power, signs and lying wonders, and with unrighteous deception that people believe the delusion, the lie, that he, in fact, is the Christ. That'll be the lie. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. Revelation 13.2 says this, gives more confirmation. The dragon in that text we know is Satan, it's written right there, gave him, the Antichrist, his power, his dunamis, now, dunamis power is the power to do. Any Greek word that has the prefix duna in it means capable. Dunamis, capable power to do. He gave him his power, he gave him his throne, and his great authority, his exousia is the Greek word for that. His permission, his authority, the right, the executive power 
to, to do what Satan wants him to do. The dragon empowered the Antichrist will destroy and prosper and thrive. Verse 25, he shall cause deceit to prosper. That's his game, deceive the whole world, and people will fall for the lie. Not you, hopefully, because we're not here. I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture that we're not going to see all of this, but in case we do, don't believe the lie. Key point, he shall destroy the mighty. Now watch this. He shall destroy the mighty. I think this might be referring to, remember there's ten nations that are coming up. Antichrist will usurp power over these ten rulers. Three of them will fight against him. He will subdue the three. This may be referring to those three that he subdues as he subdues the mighty, those who stand up against him. He will subdue them. Interesting thought. But he shall destroy the holy people. Antiochus did this, and Antichrist will do it like nobody else in the history of the world will do it. Remember this, he's a killer of Jews. The first Holocaust, six million Jews were killed. One of three Jews on planet Earth died. In Antichrist Holocaust, two of three Jews will die. How do we know? Zechariah chapter 13, verse 8 says this, And it shall come to pass in all the land, speaking of the tribulation period, says the Lord, that two-thirds in it shall be cut off and die. These are the ones that will believe the Antichrist lie. The Antichrist will turn on them at the midpoint of the tribulation, and he will start to slaughter every Jew he can. But there will be a remnant that escapes. Next verse. But one-third shall be left in it, and I, God, will bring one-third through the fire, will refine them as silver is refined, test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name, and I will answer them, and I will say, this is my people, and each one will say, the Lord is my God. When will that happen? At the very end of the tribulation period. However, those one-third that, that survive realize what, what Jesus taught in Matthew and what Daniel taught here, that the abomination of desolation is their cue to run for your life. When he sets himself up in the temple to be worshipped as God, that is the immediate. Don't, don't go back for anything. Don't pray that it's not on a Sabbath. Get off the rooftop. Just make your exit to Petra as fast as you can. That is going to be your safe place. So, in verse 25, we see this of our text. The Antichrist will be cunning, he will be crafty, and he will also have self-deification, claiming that he's God. And again, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we see these words. 2 verse 3, let no one deceive you by any means. Paul is writing here, giving a heads up on what's coming. These people thought they missed the rapture. And he says, no, you didn't, because these things have to happen. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day, the day of Christ or the day of the Lord, will not come unless, first of all, the falling away comes first. Now, some people do some, some linguistic gymnastics with that word falling away, apostasy, and say that refers to the rapture. I don't believe that's what it does. I believe this apostasy is a general falling away of the church from the teachings of Jesus Christ. 
and blending with the world. And that's what we see today predominantly happening around us. The falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Remember, we, if we should be able to spot this guy early on, early on, before he ascends to power, by some of the things that he does and how he's getting the attention. Remember, he starts out slow as the little horn and then gradually gains power. We should be able to identify him. But watch this in verse 4. Who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. This is the Antichrist. This is the abomination of desolation. This is him setting himself up to be worshipped as God. The false prophet facilitates this in Revelation chapter 13. So he's going to be cunning, crafty, deceitful, set himself up as God. And remember, Satan, I believe that Satan at some point, probably at this point of the abomination of desolation, in chapter 12, he's booted out of heaven. He's angry. He's hysterical. He's attacking the Jews. He's attacking believers on the earth. I think at this point, he indwells, indwells uh, the Antichrist. And Antichrist will demand worship as God, something that Satan has always, always wanted. Remember in Isaiah chapter 14, Scripture says this, Oh, how you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. Speaking of Satan, see, Satan's name was Lucifer, meaning shining one, shining one, day star. And notice the scripture always uses the word fallen when it is referring to some, one of his creation that is not fulfilling their created purpose. See, we, humanity is always called fallen because we fell from our position of holiness into sin. Same thing that Satan did, from a position of being sinless before God to being sin and causing havoc in heaven. And the third of the angels went with him, fallen. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. You have said in your heart, sin always, 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 always starts in your heart, in your mind. It starts in your mind, and then you act it out. I will ascend to heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, the other angels of God. I will sit on the mount of, God, mount of the congregation. I will rule. That's what he's saying. On the farthest side of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. That's what he's saying. I will be worshipped just like God. That's what he's always wanted. The abomination of desolation. The lie, the deception that he is the Christ. In verse 25, we see these words. In his arrogance... The Antichrist will rise up and fight against the prince of princes? You know who that is? Jesus Christ. He's going he's to mobilize an army to fight against Jesus when he comes back. In Revelation chapter 19, we see this. He'll be broken without human means. Remember who broke Antiochus? Judas Maccabee. God raised him up. But not this time. It's not going to be a human means. This time it's going to be Jesus Christ. Remember when he comes back? Remember the rock is the king of kings. It's the Lord of lords. Jesus coming to destroy this kingdom. And he will establish his millennial kingdom for a thousand years. This will actually happen soon. Please remember that. Please hear that. 
This isn't fantasy. This is real. He's coming back. He's coming back. So, and notice what he says here. The time of the end. The visions is for the time of the end. And he's telling you that it's true. These things are true. Just let that resonate within your being. It's true. It's true. It's true. It's really going to happen. And he says it's for days in the future. Seal them up. Seal them up to when? Till days in the future. Daniel chapter 12 gives us more of a hint on this. Daniel 12 verse 4 says this. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. That's our time. We are understanding these things now. Many shall run to and fro. It's going to be a hectic pace of life. Never has planet Earth, humanity, had more of a hectic pace of life than our time today. No other time in history even comes close to what we are being inundated with on a regular basis. We'll run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Not just knowledge exponentially. So you, can, you get a textbook in school. You get a textbook when you're in medical school, and you read the textbook, that's already antiquated material. And then you get magazines or journals to try to keep up because that's a little more current, and you can't even keep up then because more information is coming out. So you get it on the Internet, or you get it from another source to say as current, as current, as current as you can possibly be. This knowledge increase, but I don't think it's talking just about that. I think it's also talking about the knowledge of what's happening at the end, that this whole thing is unraveling, and we are able to observe prophecy being fulfilled and what is to come in the future. That is the knowledge here. In verse 90, he says this, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the end. Again, he says this, Many shall be purified, made white and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand. You wonder why they can't understand? Why we can't deal with abortion? The woman's right to choose. They can choose whatever they want except kill their baby. They can choose whatever they want. That marriage is between a man and a woman. They can't understand why we, we don't hate them, but we cannot uh, support that. We cannot uh, support gay marriage. We cannot. They don't understand it. And they look at us as intolerant and unloving. That is not the case. That is not the case. None of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. The wise will have eyes to see and ears to hear the things of the Spirit. That's what Jesus said at the end of each church in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. You have eyes to see and ears to hear the things of the Spirit. Finally, verse 27, Daniel's response. And I, Daniel, fainted. He does a lot of fainting. And was sick for days. Afterward, I rose and went about the king's business. And I was astonished by the vision, but no one understood it, meaning he didn't understand it. I just, I don't quite get it because there's too much there. It's too big for me. Once Daniel knew and saw the gravity of what was coming and what awaited his people, the Jews, the awful carnage in the future, Daniel fainted and was sick for days, grieving. Daniel had a visceral response to the coming trauma. Daniel, now notice what he did here. Please, hear this. Because this can be really scary to people. And this has happened in the past, where people get so fixated on the end times, and this is it, that they go live off someplace. Daniel didn't understand it all. He didn't get it all, especially the future Antichrist. Yet he did this. 
he did not withdraw into seclusion. He didn't go into a cave. He didn't go into a compound. He didn't do a Jim Jones in Guyana. He didn't do a David Koresh in Texas. Harold Camping had his people all selling their stuff and living high on the hog because Jesus was coming at a certain date, and he didn't come, and those folks lost everything, and they were mad at Harold Camping. No, we are not to do that. He, didn't be, he did not become fixated on what was coming, preoccupied with what's next. He did not throw up his hands and say, what's the use? What's the use? It's all coming to an end. He did not do that. He did not cower in fear, and please hear this, God has not given you the spirit of fear, but what a power, love, and a sound mind. You know what that sound mind is? A disciplined, controlled, orderly mind. That is the opposite of fear. A disciplined, controlled, orderly mind. He did. Now watch this, what he did do. Daniel did. He got up. He carried out the king's business. He lived out his life in that kingdom with no fear. No fear. Bible prophecy should not make us live in fear, withdraw, and give up on life. On the contrary, it should make us more involved in our king's business. Now, there's most recently been a group of people in England that have withdrawn. Withdrawn. It was, excuse me, it was a Dutch family that withdrew. And for nine years, they lived in this compound for fear of the end time. The 25-year-old son escapes, goes into town. The first thing he does, he orders five beers, and then he spills his guts on what's happening in the place. They find that these people are hiding, afraid of the end, afraid of the end time. This is what we do not do. This is something, don't do this. We are to live out our lives productive in the mundane tasks of life. Folks, it's the daily that gets you down, isn't it? It's the daily. To be a great example to those we come in contact with, and hear this, to be faithful in the little things of life. Be faithful in the little things. This glorifies our Lord. In conclusion, Gabriel interprets the dream. Now remember, Antiochus is a type of Antichrist. Antichrist is Antiochus on steroids. Let's put it that way. We know there's an abomination of desolation that will come. We know that he's going to be a liar and a deceiver. The reason we study Bible prophecy, the reason we study Bible prophecy is so we can know what is coming. Know what is coming. To not be shocked by the world events. It's going to be shocking, folks. Things are going to happen that we're not going to understand. We're not going to like, but we don't go into fear. We don't go into hiding. We don't go into withdrawal. And we are to know that our God is in full, complete control. This, folks, is what Jesus expects from each one of us. I want to close with some words from Bob Diefenbach in his closing section on this part of his study, the way he, he developed it. And I just put this in here, for troubling times and troubled lives. I want you to think about this. Just watch me for just a second. Zone in for just a second. He says this, we need know, or we must know this, 
God is in control of the future. While we may not understand exactly what's going to happen or when, we do know that God is in control and that he is causing all things to work together for his glory and for the good of his saints. Romans 8.28 is true. All things do work together for good for those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. That is the truth. Many of you, he goes on to say this, many of you may be suffering this very moment. Now, I bet if we took a poll here, every one of us has something we're dealing with, some pain, some struggle. Physical, spiritual, emotional, financial, whatever it is, we're dealing with it on a continuum. Some of you may be suffering this very moment, each in a different way. I ask, do you understand exactly what the future holds for you? Do you understand where the suffering is going for you? No. No, you don't. Who among you knows precisely what God is doing or why? None of us. Like Job, we're called to suffer without God's explanation. We do not need to know what will happen tomorrow, and I can tell you I am thrilled with that. I am not one of these people would ever go to a palm reader, a horoscope person. I do not want to know what's going to happen. The Bible is against that, okay? But you, we don't need to know that. Each day has enough problems of its own. We are to live in the moment. We do not need to know the reasons for what God is doing in our lives at the moment. All we need to know is this. He is our God. And that he is in control. This is the essence of chapter 8, he says. We know our future is in God's hands. And that suffering must precede glory. Knowing this is enough. If we know him, we know all that we need to know. Isn't that the truth? I don't know this guy. I don't like everything he does, but I like this. Good job, Bob. This, folks, we call trust. For troubled times and troubled lives, a good way to go through life in turbulent times is this. I will trust in the Lord until I die. That's how I go through this. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that you've given us to study this chapter of Daniel. Thank you, though, that Daniel did not understand. He still trusted you. And may that be our hearts. I don't understand what's going on around us. I don't understand why things happen as they do. I don't understand why people get sick and these things happen to young people, old people. The tragedies of life, I have not a clue. But I know that you are in control and all things are working out according to your plan. And then that I rest. And right now I pray that we find our solace and our comfort and our rest in you. Lord, we don't know what's going to happen in the future, but we know that things are going to deteriorate. So may we not walk with the spirit of fear, but with power, love, and a sound mind, a disciplined mind, a mind that is fixed on you and not on what's going on around us. Oh, Lord, help us to be men and women of God. Men and women of the book, may we put aside the trivialities of the world, the things that we hold on to as our pacifier, and turn to you, our God, and get our strength from you. Lord, I pray that right now upon each person that's in this room, that we get our strength, our reason for living and being from you. May we walk in the truth of your word this week, and may we be changed right this moment because we've come in contact with the living God.
the Spirit of God, bearing witness with our spirit that this is all true. Help us to make the changes that are necessary in our lives, Lord. You have given us the power through your Spirit to not continue the same way, go down the same road. May we walk in the truth of who we are, men and women of God, children of God, the bride of Christ. Thank you, Lord, that you are with us. In Jesus' name, amen.